0: welcome back to dirty chai chats a podcast all about sexual health love and relationships at tufts my name is casey and i'm so excited to welcome you all to the first episode of our care and dirty chai chats collaboration the sex and disability mini-series Every Friday for the next three weeks, we'll be featuring conversations with three incredible self-advocates working in sexual health and disability justice. We talk about sex education, queerness and neurodivergence, media representations, and how CARE, the sex health reps, and Tufts in general, can become more accessible. So I realize I'm an unfamiliar voice on this podcast, so I want to start by giving a little background on myself and my work with CARE. I'm a rising junior studying chemistry and women's gender and sexuality studies. I'm passionate about bridging the gap between scientific research and human rights and creating healthier communities through activism, performance, and mentorship. I found my way to CARE, the Center for Awareness, Resources, and Engagement, this spring after hosting a panel discussion featuring Dr. Eileen Crean, a professor in the Child Studies Department. Part of her research explores the sexual health resources and content areas available to people with autism. What began as pages of research discussing everything from sex with sensory sensitivity to the disability rights movement transformed into connections with self-advocates from all over the United States. Through this podcast, I'm bringing their insight directly to Tufts. I wanna thank everyone who has contributed to this project. I'm so grateful to Emma and Alexandra at CARE for their support and special thanks to GEO for all their Dirty Chai Chats expertise. Now, without further ado, I'm delighted to introduce our first guest, Catherine McLaughlin. Catherine is the founder and CEO of Elevatus Training, an organization that delivers sex education for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. We're so happy to have you here, Catherine. Welcome to our first episode. Could you start by introducing yourself with your name, pronouns, what you do for work and a little background on your connections to sex health
1: accessibility? My name is Catherine McLaughlin and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm a sexuality educator and trainer and I've been doing this work for close to 30 years. I work primarily with people with intellectual developmental disabilities. I also have a disability, a spinal cord injury, and I use a wheelchair. So I've always been interested in disability awareness and rights. And, and then I was a sexuality educator. So those two kind of came together. Cool.
0: So to start, what would you say are some common misconceptions about people with disabilities in regards to sexuality? Where do those come from and how can we work to dismantle those ideas?
1: So I would say people with disabilities are often thought of as not sexual people or maybe even oversexed in some ways like they you know can't control themselves especially uh, people with intellectual disabilities i think there's also a lot of myths like they can't understand things i think they come from probably media and just our ideas about disability and i think as far as ways to dismantle those is just talking more about Sexuality, um, one of the programs that I have are people with developmental disabilities become sexuality educators. So not only are they sexual beings, they're also teaching others about sexuality too. So I think that just kind of, you know, when people have these beliefs, it just sort of, when they see something different, it it, it changes their beliefs and their thoughts, you know? Um, so I think we can model that. And, you know, media, there's more and more with disability, but not a lot. So we don't see images of people in relationships with disabilities very often in the media. So I think those, if if the media could add more and we just keep doing our work and highlighting the truth about it, then I think those will dismantle those beliefs.
0: Awesome. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, and so what would you say looking more at like sex education in high school, middle school, um, and even in college too, as it's currently offered, how is it inaccessible to people with disabilities?
1: Absolutely. Okay, so first I'll start with, you know, schools. I think now there's five states that require sex education involve, you know, include students with disabilities in the whole country. Some of them, health has to be inclusive of students with disabilities, but There's only five that specifically say sexuality education. And lots of people with disabilities are taken out of class during the sexuality unit as if they don't need it. I even had a self-advocate tell me that she had other health issues. So she had to leave for physical therapy or occupational therapy. And then she missed a lot of things, but they never made them up where they probably would have made up some other topic. You know? So I think making sure that our curriculum and that students with disabilities have access to sexuality education, just like all the other students. In general, we need more sexuality education in schools, but then add in disability and we need even more.
0: Totally, yeah. Thank you for sharing those huge disparities. At CARE, particularly with our peer education program, the sex health reps, we work really hard to address those gaps and the insufficient high school sex ed that most students have received when entering Tufts. It's so important, too, to think about all the people who weren't even included in those health classrooms or given the opportunity to engage with any sort of curriculum that could be tailored to different learning styles and still give comprehensive information. So you work for an organization called Elevatus that you founded. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk about your curriculum and how you make it more accessible?
1: There weren't a lot of curriculum available for people with intellectual developmental disabilities and sexuality. And so I decided to create a curriculum. And I worked with some self-advocates, so people with disabilities. And they said, nothing about us without us. And we want to be part of developing the curriculum. And also we wanna teach the curriculum. They really were the ones that made me see differently, you know, like, oh, you can teach this. The curriculum is very concrete and it takes abstract concepts and breaks them down into really concrete ways. There's lots of visuals, plain language as well. So it is designed, you know, specifically for people with intellectual developmental disabilities. I think one of the downsides is people will take a a curriculum and then try to adapt it. And that's not usually enough. And so really going to the population and saying, what do you need, what do you want, having them help you create the curriculum, or if not, have them at least select the curriculum, because there is a whole perspective of disability that is missing from general sexuality education. So I think one that's designed specifically for people with disabilities is important and to have their voices in on either creating it or selecting it.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's awesome. Yeah, and I was able to look through curriculum because Emma who works in care is um, doing your training in the fall so looking right. through that and seeing how explicit it was and I I showed it to friends too and they were like I wish I had this like these, oh, yeah. you know people without <laughs> disabilities everyone yeah making it more clear direct explicit with visuals is really awesome exactly.
1: yeah yeah definitely oh good I'm glad you took a look at it yeah well cool. so
0: next what are some examples of ableism within our current practices of dating and intimacy and what are ways to combat this in uh, both our daily lives, like for tough students who are dating and having sexual lives, as well as systemically?
1: So I would say um, in our current practices, I mean, there's lots of places that are not accessible, wheelchair accessible, right? So even where people socialize, there might not be access. So I think that's, that's an example. Um, I think also in general, people with disabilities are often not seen as potential partners you know, as friends, not someone that you'd be in a relationship with. Again, seeing more images of that is important to dismantle that. And then inaccessible spaces, speaking up around that and, and making sure that things are accessible for all. And then I think just sort of like what we talked about, just that lack of education. So don't even know how to ask somebody out or who is an okay partner to be with. And what are the signs of an unhealthy relationship? And, you know, like you said, a lot of us need that too, but they really lack a lot of sexuality education. And I, I you know, people with disabilities, you know, 50 year old men don't know how babies are actually made. Yeah, so I think if we did more sexuality education in the schools, right now it's more as adults. So they get out of school or in the real world and then something happens based on lack of education. And then people get into, oh my God, we need to now we need to teach it. So being more proactive. Yeah, so I think and and ableism, I think just that idea of what is ableism and how do we how do we teach people with disabilities about that so they can speak up when they feel like somebody's being ableist?
0: Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great point. Yeah, I would say, at least in my experience and in general, like Tufts has a lot of activist populations and students working and being active about marginalization. And there are really great self-advocate led groups, ABLE and diverse minds at Mm -hmm. Tufts doing a lot. And I'm sure everyone listening to this from Tufts or who has been to Tufts knows it's extremely physically inaccessible being on a hill. um, And Mm. a lot of our spaces are really inaccessible. So ABLE has been doing a lot of work to think about like how to make even just going to class possible for people using wheelchairs and yeah, how to make these spaces and like social justice spaces addressing like the interconnected nature of all these marginalizations and how disability is really integral to all of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Before um, doing this work or sort of during doing this work, I worked at King State College and um, with students with disabilities. So providing classroom accommodations and and we had to do a whole transition plan on trying to make the uh, campus more accessible and so there's a lot yeah there's definitely a lot of work to do and I think Keene State um, there's a lot of students with disabilities because it's very flat
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know for that, yeah. for that very reason you know yeah. I, I, I stay away from hills as much as I can yeah. you
0: know? I'm sure yeah. yeah yeah I know some people who have had like temporary disabilities while at Tufts like broken toe or you know had to get knee surgery sure. and you know, there's really nothing available. And so I think bringing that to the forefront of this is an issue at Tufts and this is, yeah, an issue in everything we do and all of our activism.
1: Yeah, I think too, like sometimes people will say, well, we could just carry them in, you know, we'll just, ca- <laughs> and just like, would you be okay being carried into the classroom, you know, or like just yeah, really just, because yeah, right. there's almost this feeling as if people with disabilities aren't really people you know, not really human, so we can just carry them or we'll, you know, just to not forget that people are people, um, whether they have a disability yeah. or not. None of us would want to be carried into a classroom and have everybody stare at them and same with people with disabilities, so...
0: Yeah. So moving on, talking a little bit more about our peer education programs, CARE facilitates the sex health reps and Green Dot. Green Dot does like bystander training and prevention. And then the sex health reps do a lot of education and programming. So a lot of the content and advertisement for these groups and their events occurs via Instagram and other social media sites. So for our content and for any other groups on campus who use these platforms, what are ways to make Instagram posts more accessible and effective for audiences with disabilities?
1: Well, I think, you know, that concrete, plain language, probably everyone could benefit from that. I would also think of maybe some statistics and things around disability, just for that awareness. So people start thinking, oh, whoa, there's a statistic on people with disabilities on Instagram. Oh, right. We're all people, you know, to just sort of be seen as a person, something like everyone is a sexual being kinds of messages and not just cisgender, heterosexual, you know, able-bodied, and I think sort of making sure disabilities in that, but a little bit of that awareness, I think, would be good. So I'm sort of thinking of it in two ways. One is to reach people with disabilities, but then to change some of those, the stigma and the stereotype as well could be a really good platform for that, because it's usually short and sweet, right? These social media posts. So that's my recommendation. Awesome,
0: great. You recommended to me the plain language checklist created by the Green Mountain Self Advocate. So we'll put that in with all of these podcasts and so people can use that going forward.
1: You know, sort of like what you said before, like all of us could use more of this concrete, detailed and that whole universal design idea. Like just, what if we just used all the content that we give people with intellectual disabilities for everyone? It'd be so straightforward, right? To not necessarily think of it as separate. Like, okay, we got to make sure we put in some disability stuff, but how can we make it part of everything?
0: Yeah, thank you. Those are great points. What do you wish most people knew about entering a romantic or sexual relationship with someone who is disabled?
1: So different depending on the disability, but I think one, just sort of a general one, is I just get this feeling that people feel sorry for people with disabilities. They see them as like maybe fragile even. Even even in a friendship too, you know, sort of like how do you not see the person with a disability as fragile or pity them or think they're just amazing, you know, that they're just people and they happen to think differently or they happen to Um, use a wheelchair to get around. But everything else is, a lot of it's the same. To be really honest with people with disabilities, I think sometimes people will not tell them the truth because they don't want to hurt their feelings, you know, that they're sort of almost childlike. So I would say if you're going to enter a romantic sexual relationship with someone with a disability is to not feel sorry for them, not turn them into heroes, and just really get to know them. You know, I I wouldn't say ask a ton of questions about the disability, even just sort of a general, how does having a disability impact your life, or something like that, to get to know the person more. But I think one of the things that happened to me once, and I usually tell this story around sort of people's attitudes, is I was getting out of my car. And I take my wheelchair apart and I put it together on the side of my car. And there was someone in, in a car next to me, and she had this big brace she had to put on. She had injured her knee or something. And she said, Oh my God, I was feeling sorry for myself until I saw you. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Yeah. So just that like, and I'm like, I'm fine. What are you? Yeah. <laughs> Um, So like that, yeah, to know that people are okay with disabilities and they're not going to break, yeah, their disability might be, there might be some barriers in their life because of it, but I feel like most people with disabilities don't think about their disability that often, you know, they're just used to it. And one of the things at Keene State is we had a Disability Awareness Day, and so I'm not sure those are good because it's just not accurate to just put somebody in a wheelchair and have them go around Like, I'm good at it. Like, I'm skilled. It's not that difficult. But if you've never been in one, you're like, oh, my God, this is so hard. And then there's more of this, like, oh, you poor thing. And disability is hard for people. What we often say is, you know, temporarily able-bodied, you know, that Mm -hmm. we all kind of, you know, as we age or whatever, we're all kind of going to deal with some of that. And people don't want to. They don't want to think about it. They don't want to look at it. And so they often don't look at people. Yeah, that all makes total sense.
0: Yeah, so just to wrap up, if you want to share any additional resources, including your curriculum, which we'll obviously link with this, any other resources specifically tailored to people with disabilities in regards to sexual health and wellness, and for allies too, and people, you know, who may be interacting with people with disabilities.
1: Well, I think just just a little more on Elevatus training. So it's Elevatus. So they, really the idea came from elevate the status of all people. So elevate us. There's one person, Ava, Crippen with Ava. It's a podcast and oh, cool. she has a disability. She's nonverbal and teaches a lot about sexuality. So, you know, Elevatus has lots of free resources on, on our webpage and we also have a 3-day training that people might, you know, be interested in. We train people to teach sexuality education classes to people with intellectual developmental disabilities. They also learn how to work with parents because that's a whole different group of parents that are very worried about their child and there's pretty high rates of sexual abuse among people with intellectual developmental disabilities so they're worried and rightly so and also how to train staff so that wherever whatever community you live in you can train all these different groups of people
0: cool thank you
1: Catherine. absolutely
0: Thank you for listening to the first episode of our sex and disability mini series. Join us next week for a conversation about sexual self advocacy with Frank Vaca, an Elevatus peer educator and support coordinator at the Michigan Disability Rights Coalition. And stay tuned for our final episode featuring Jennifer Cook, best selling author and mentor from Emmy Award nominated Love on the Spectrum.